Hi everyone, it's John. And Ben. And welcome back to Santa by the Minute, the podcast where Ben and I talk about 1985's Santa Claus the Movie. One minute at a time. And season's greetings, Ben. It's almost the anniversary of the movie again. Almost. Almost the 36th anniversary. Crazy. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> so, Ben, did you want to address the minor controversy that you recently had? <laughs> regarding something you said on this podcast out of everything we passionately talked about in that episode the thing that got the internet a buzz was a comment you made a passing comment about the uk and tea bags maybe you can yes. uh, elaborate so i've been informed um <laughs> that the people in the uk they do in fact use tea bags so it was my misunderstanding that they did not use tea bags and i have been shown images of kitchens with boxes of tea bags and containers of tea bags and and apparently tea bags are in fact used i was under the impression that they used you know strainers where you put loose tea leaves into the strainers and you submerge those into your water but nope they drink way too much tea to have time to use the dried leaves they use the paper ones we heard from both adam from mary britsmith and yes. jack from total christmas podcast so yes. you had all of the uk podcasters on you <laughs> about that one comment and some other members of the Christmas podcast arena, they have uh, they have all informed me that I was wrong. <laughs> they didn't understand what I meant as to how they drank tea. <laughs> so is this is this your apology? This is my I apologize. I apologize for not understanding the correct tea usage. You're you're canceled now for I'm canceled. over tea bags. I'm canceled over tea. <laughs> <laughs> so ben what what minute are we on this week we are pretty deep into this movie we are on minute 85 this isn't the most eventful minute but i still have plenty of notes here so uh, before we start off i just want to talk about the discrepancy real quick about how the book ordered things in the movie ordered things so in the movie we had Claus and Anya with Mopey Claus, as you call him. And then we have Joe climbing the drain pipe. And then we go to Patch, right? Yes, that's how it plays out on screen, on film. So in the book, we have Mopey Santa and Mrs. Claus. And then it goes to Patch at the factory that we see in this minute. And then it goes to Joe and Cornelia. Joe climbing up the drain drain pipe. <laughs> so the it's a little bit different. Yeah, we kind of bounce around a bit more between our three or four sets of characters. Yeah. BZ and Taos are coming to the picture in a couple of weeks now. Because, well, it's the, like, in, in the movie, it it's kind of hard to place everything in order you know what i mean it goes from joe climbing up the thing and then patches at the factory and then we're we're back at joe and cornelia's house 
But in the book, it makes it sound like you go from Santa and then you see Patch and then you see Joe and Cornelia like it's a different day. You know what I mean? Like the book makes it seem like it's a totally different time. But the movie, the if you listen closely, you know this has to be the same night when we go from Joe climbing up the pipe to Patch at the factory because you can hear the thunderstorm outside mm-hmm. while Patch is in the factory. So it's it's weird how it's different in the book as far as the timeline goes. This is a very busy night in the movie. A lot is going to happen on this <laughs> yes. one night. Yes. This is the calm before the, the the calm before the storm, but there's also a storm going on. The storm before the storm. <laughs> the storm before the storm. <laughs> so the first three seconds of our minute, uh, we are looking at Joe as he's starting to climb up the gutter pipe on the side of the townhouse to get up to Cornelia's window. He gets his footing on what looks like a garden planter. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And then he grabs onto the pipe. But we don't actually see him do any climbing. He kind of like just, he just sort of grabs onto it. And the next thing you know, we're at the toy factory again. Yes. Probably it, w- it would have been impossible for young Christian or <laughs> or Joe, I mean, to be climbing up that wet gutter pipe. Yeah. Nothing to grab onto. I'm sure it was pretty slippery. Yeah, there's no way he could have actually climbed that in, in real life. But in, in the movie, in the movie universe, he shimmied right up that pipe. Yes, he did. And into Cornelia's second floor window somehow. Quite the impressive feat, <laughs> I must say. It's a little, it's a little different. I mean, not, it's not different, but it's so hard. It's the same, but it's just slightly different in the book. Like, in the movie, it's just basically the drain pipe goes straight to Cornelia's ha- window. But in the book, there's like a ledge that he has to shimmy across like a cat burglar to get into her room they don't show that in the movie at all i guess they didn't want to do any stunts no stunts for the kids (laughs) this was quite the movie and tv trope especially in the 80s and 90s i feel where Mm -hmm. a young boy would climb a tree or in this case a gutter pipe or even a ladder up to the girl's second floor window yeah it was very common apparently for houses to have like that lattice work with the vines climbing attached to the side of the house or like a really good climbing tree right outside a bedroom window yeah yeah always always or real life that doesn't (laughs) or in the case of uh, nickelodeon's clarissa explains it all you know sam had a ladder that he could put right up to the window This is something I don't think would fly at all in real life. Seems to be a common occurrence, like an everyday thing. Nobody would look twice seeing somebody shimmy up a tree or climb a ladder into somebody's window in a movie or TV show. But in real life, I, I, I don't think that would be happening too often. I don't think that would ever happen <laughs> in real life. <laughs> For one, who doesn't have screens on their windows? I don't understand how in every single TV show and movie, these bedroom windows, they don't have screens. So, like, how would you have, why would you have the window open if you didn't have a screen in your window? You'd just be having bugs fly in and out of your room all the time. It's completely impractical. (laughs) Raccoon comes into your room because the tree is so close to your window. You'd have squirrels in your house. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Zero cents. But yeah, I was like, I wonder when that became a thing, but I suppose it goes all the way back to Romeo and Juliet and the balcony. That, 
in the in the book that's exactly what it credits it says um joe climbed into cornelia's room like a very young uh romeo entering juliet's room for the first time so they made that connection in the book as well so as joe has got his grip on that pipe we now cut to patch sitting alone he's in like a rolling office chair just kind of slouched down in front of some elf made machinery it looks like he's in the same exact place he took off in the Patchmobile on Christmas yes, Eve. He is. Was all this machinery in place then to produce no. all those lollipops? Where was all this stuff? I don't know where all this stuff... It, so in the book, it says right here, Patch sat behind the controls of his state-of-the-art control panel overseeing the endless metal forest of robotic arms and automated machinery which produced more candy canes in an hour than he could have imagined producing in his wildest dreams. No need for awkward jury-rigged assembly lines made of giant tinker toys here. BZ did everything first class if there was money in it for him. That's interesting. This doesn't look like a BZ-made contraption. It looks like something Patch himself would make because it's all in primary colors. And has that toy look to it. And if you remember, Patch even said that he could adjust the candy, the lollipop machine to make candy canes. Yeah, so we have to assume this is Mm -hmm. what he used to make those candy canes as well. He just he just turned some knobs and dials and changed the settings a bit. Yeah. Uh, So, So I don't know where this was during the initial production of lollipops, but. Maybe they had to move everything out onto the floor here to have a little more room. Maybe. To spread it out. There are lots Maybe. of tubes, lots of buttons, gauges, levers. There's mm-hmm. this big turbine thing, yellow and green turbine that emits steam periodically. Yeah, I don't know what any of this stuff is. <laughs> now, you can't read it on the standard definition version, but if you go look at the HD version, there is a little sign, a little rectangular sign on the machine that looks like it says patch candy and then you can't read the rest Mm -hmm. it's like totally unreadable on the standard version but on the high def you can kind of make it out so i wonder if it was like patch candy matic or candy matic that'd be my best guess yeah because i had you look at it too on the hd copy and you couldn't make it out either i couldn't figure out what it was trying to say in the book it says that he made a the Patch Toy Co. sign. But that doesn't look like it's the same as what's in the actual movie. I do have to say, this is a rare case where the, the kind of darker, grimier, standard definition version really helps the mood a bit more. Because on in the high def, it's a lot brighter in this, mm-hmm. in this scene. So I have a little bit of Patch's internal thoughts before the buzzer goes off. Okay. Which is only about a second of the movie. So I don't know if you wanted me to get into his thoughtfulness while he's sitting there staring off into space. Yeah, how about you insert that right now and then we'll talk about the different shots of machinery until the whistle goes off. Okay. In spite of his efforts to make this look like home, his production line was as heartless as the human vulture who had provided it. A fact which Patch with his innate belief in the good heartiness of others, did not really understand. He only knew that he was very unhappy, that he missed Santa and his friends more than he had ever dreamed possible. 
and that he had never appreciated any of them, or the wonderful village in which they existed, nearly enough. He had been elfish, he realized, thinking only of himself and his personal glory, not thinking enough about the real reason they were all there, to work together to make the best toys possible, unselfishly and lovingly in order to bring happiness to others. He let his mind drift out of his joyous surroundings into another fond daydream of season's greetings at the North Pole, the happy bustle of activity, the smiling faces, the large, jolly figure of Santa moving among the hard-working elves, making certain that everything was just as it ought to be, and everyone was content. If he had realized what a changed and disillusioned person Santa Claus had become, if he had known one-tenth of the real grief he had caused Santa and his friends, Patch would have been prostrate with grief himself. He had never meant to hurt anybody. He was just too elf-centered to consider the consequences of his actions. He only saw things from the perspective of his own wounded pride, and he only wanted achingly to go home. That was a mouthful. It was. Two puns in there. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you're going to have to document. <laughs> I don't think we've heard elf-centered before, so you'll no. have to add that to our uh, checklist. We have heard elfish before. Yes. In the book, not the movie. Yeah. I know I know there wouldn't have been time for it in the movie in its current state. Mm-hmm. I know there's only 15 minutes of actual movie left, <laughs> so there wouldn't have been time to explore this, but I could kind of picture... Uh, Patch becoming like a superstar. You know, he's not sitting here in a dreary warehouse chugging out candy canes. He has like sunglasses on. He's like toy companies are trying to uh, get th- get them on their in their company. And mm-hmm. BZ treats him like a king. He's at a fancy hotel with a hot tub, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then he slowly realizes that this is this isn't the life he wants. Right. But there would have been no way to cram that into. No. <laughs> When we're at minute 85, that would have been part of the Netflix 10-part series. It only would have worked if they split this movie into two separate movies, where you would have had the origin of Santa, and then the second movie being BZ trying to steal Christmas. That's the only way you could have gotten all of that into this movie. I know BZ is a pretty sleazy guy, but I would imagine he'd want to treat Patch like a king, you know, put him up in a mm-hmm. fancy New York hotel or something. <laughs> Not keep him chained to a rolly chair in an abandoned warehouse. <laughs> well, I don't know. There's parts of him that I could see exactly why you would do this. Well, especially if, well, if there were other toy companies like trying to lure right. Patch away. That would be different. He'd want to, like, at least pretend to be, have Patch's best interests at heart. Right. So the machine spits out candy canes into a plastic bin. They're, like, pulsating red. Now, if I'm not mistaken, they look like they are wrapped. They come out of the machine already wrapped, like the candy canes you'd go and buy at the Walgreens or something to put on your tree. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Now, I think this pulsating red, I don't think it's like the, I think it's just supposed to show that there is that stardust in the candy cane. Speaking of stardust, (laughs) the next thing we see are, it, it looks like six giant tubes filled with stardust and air is like circulating through it. 
mm-hmm. we know there it's there's air involved because at least on top of two of them that we can see in this shot there are two red balls like levitating in air above two of these giant tubes of what looks like glittery stardust yeah it's a lot of stardust there's no way he brought that much stardust with him i know we've discussed this before when we were talking about making the lollipops it has to be self-regenerating but the weirdness will come in in just a minute when that whistle blows. Yeah. But before we move on, behind the uh, tubes in this shot, there are those stacked boxes with like the little silhouettes of kids on them. We talked about this earlier when we saw a shot of Beezy's warehouse. Yeah. But now, thanks to the HD version, you can clearly make out what those boxes say. Mm-hmm. And they say nursery toys. And there are quite a few boxes of nursery toys. Yeah, I guess these must be items that BZ never got to ship out because, you know, the stores wouldn't send them back like this. So these must just never have left the warehouse when they shut down for uh, safety. So next we see four. They look they remind me of gumball machines. Yes, they're they're big, circular, almost fishbowl looking things. The bases are red, just like a gumball machine. And inside is like a bubbling liquid one has red liquid one yellow one green and one blue i assume these would be food colorings to go into the pop or the candy cane rather but there's no blue green or yellow in these candy canes no i have no idea what this is for (laughs) it's like different flavors of kool-aid bubbling around Some sort of ingredient, because there are tubes yeah. coming out the top. Maybe they all go into it. I don't know. I don't know I, what... I, I don't know if it's edible. I don't know if it's something to keep the machine running. But it looks cool. It does look cool. Because those four, they lead into the machine that has the stardust. So all of the candy cane making must happen in this big blue box here. Because we get another shot of more candy canes being spit out of the tube and into the bin. Everything is so dreary and miserable. Poor Patch. Then we see an old-timey steam whistle blow. Now, Ben, have you ever seen an old-timey steam whistle like this in real life, like in the factory? No. Something that only exists in (laughs) cartoons and this movie. Yes, I've never seen a whistle like this in my life. Probably the most famous example I can think of is that bird at the start of every Flintstones episode. Right. (laughs) You can put in that sound bite right here. Let Fred know it's time to go home from work. Yeah. In in real factory work, you don't work to the sound of bells and whistles. You, uh... You wait for the next person to take your spot. (laughs) More companies should bring back the old-timey steam whistle to let everybody know it's time to go home from work. That would work if the next shift showed up on time. (laughs) It was, your shift is over, everybody walks away, the machines are still running, and the next shift doesn't show up. (laughs) Well, this whistle isn't telling Patch it's time to go home. It's to alert him that apparently the machine is empty. No more stardust, even though we just saw six tubes full of it. I know. I don't understand. 
hand. So he goes over to like a control panel and he ha- puts his hand on a lever and switches the machine from on to off. Yep. Because we see a gauge which lets Patch know when the machine is full, half full, half empty, and empty, and the needle is on empty. He picks up a little tin can and a spoon and walks into another room. Like I said, you can tell, especially in this part where he goes into this even darker room, that it's the same night because we hear that thunderstorm outside. He steps up on a little step, pulls open a file cabinet drawer, and inside is this little satchel of stardust that he brought from the North Pole over a year ago now, I suppose. And he takes out two spoonfuls and puts them into his little tin can, closes the lid, then closes the drawer. So we have determined that the stardust has to be very concentrated. And the book said that the lollipops only had one single grain of stardust in the center of them that made the flying. So it's very potent and very concentrated. But that that was it looked like there was a lot of stardust in that machine already, unless that glittery stuff was something different. But it looked exactly like the stardust. I'm very confused. I don't know either. I I <laughs> I don't know. Because in the in the book, he is revealing a sack of magic grain laying inside. Which is exactly what we thought was the stardust. He brings it back to the machine. But I don't understand how he could have that many tubes of it out of just two spoonfuls. Maybe the machine, like, multiplies it or grinds it up even finer. I don't know. know. I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. I have no idea how it relates at all. <laughs> Anything else to add to this factory scene before we go back and check in with Joe and Cornelia? Nope. So now we are back in Cornelia's bedroom. Joe is sitting on Cornelia's bed. Should have got him a towel or something. Those sheets and that comforter (laughs) are going to be soaked. I know. (laughs) But anyway, uh, Joe's sitting on the bed. Cornelia has her wrist on Joe's forehead. She pulls her arm away and tells Joe... You're burning up. I have a little bit that happens leading up to this you're burning up. Okay, before we continue with Joe's response to your burning up, uh, you you fill us in. What didn't we get to see? (laughs) Okay, so uh, I had already said that in the book he climbed like a little cat burglar into her room. And then here it says, Cornelia grinned broadly, thrilled to the core by their daring conspiracy and the excitement of the moment. Don't worry about Miss Tucker. She said, she's asleep in her room and nothing wakes her. She lowered her voice, whispering confidentially, I think she likes brandy. (laughs) Joe sneezed again and Cornelia broke off her excitement, suddenly changing back to worry. You've caught a cold. She moved to Joe's side and felt his forehead with her hand as she remembered her mother doing for her so long ago. You're burning up. She said. She looked at him with fresh concern shining in her eyes, feeling a sudden fierce desire to protect and care for this boy who had no one else in the world. It it makes Joe's ability to climb up a gutter pipe to a second story window, somehow getting from the pipe into the window even more impressive considering he's running a fever Mm -hmm. and has a cold. 
It was a mm-hmm. cute line about Miss Tucker <laughs> liking the brandy. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they figured they had to cut back on the uh, drunk jokes in this movie. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know why. It was in the 80s. They were everywhere. <laughs> people people can drink booze all over your Santa Claus movie. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> as long as Santa Normal. himself doesn't drink any, we're all, we're all good. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, Cornelia is being very motherly here. Yes. But Joe gives her some attitude. I'll be all right. And then Cornelia's not going to take that. She gives him some tood right back. <laughs> and this is a great line. You stay out there and you'll be dead. That's what you'll be. I'll be all right. You stay out there and you'll be dead is what you'll be. Props to Carrie for the line read on that one. Uh-huh. She's not taking any of Joe's lip. Nope. <laughs> Now, uh, watch this part. At the very end of this minute, I love that they kept this take in. Um, I was going to say Carrie, but uh, Cornelia here is getting herself into bed. And she misses, she's like reaches for the bedpost, but it's not there where she's expecting it to be. Mm. Do you see this? Yeah. She's like, oh, I do. I can't, I can't <laughs> describe it on a audio form. Can you? Uh, maybe you can describe it better. She's yeah, like kind of backing she... up, and obviously, it's obviously she was meant to grab the bedpost to get herself into bed, but right. she grabbed it and like swiped because it's not there. Yeah, yeah. She she's going backwards to jump up on the bed. She reach she reaches her arm back to grab the post, but she's like three inches too forward you know so she doesn't actually hit the bed i think what she's seeing out of her peripheral vision is the door the door um trim on the side i think she sees that white and that's where her hand went because it's just enough in front that i think she saw the white from the door went to grab that and missed it you know thinking that that was the actual bed post because it is right it's behind her she can't see that bedpost when she's grabbing for it. But it's cute because that's normal. That's yeah, a normal thing. I was gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's like it's charming that they left that in. <laughs> yeah. I never noticed it till till this minute in this podcast, obviously. But yeah, it's, it's charming. Gives it a little realism. Yeah. And then as Joe is staring off into nothingness, <laughs> our minute ends. <laughs> he's thinking, but I'm not going to tell you what he's thinking. Until no, you'll have next to come back. Minute. Yeah, you'll have to come back next week to see what Joe is thinking. <laughs> see if Cornelia can get onto the bed. <laughs> well, she has the bed pose now, so she's yep. good. She's got a grip now, so yep. we should be good. <laughs> yeah, all I could think about is like, oh, that kid must be as wet as... Yeah, he was soaked to the skin, skin. last week. <laughs> soaked to the skin. <laughs> we, we never heard from the UK listeners if that was the UK no. version of soaked to the bone. No, we did not. So we're, we're still in the dark on that. But yeah, he he must be drenched. And he's sitting on the end of the bed. All I could think of, like, all I could think of was how wet that comforter must be. <laughs> That's because you're, you're an old man. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, you're getting that bed all wet. <laughs> you're tracking rain in my room. Get off my bed. Cornelia doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's Joe's face is like she could she should have let me in the door if if uh, Miss Tucker is that deep of a sleeper. 
Oh, goodness. I could have come in the back door. <laughs> so that's going to wrap up our recap of minute number 85 right here on the eve of the 36th anniversary of this movie. Oh, seeing if it's in the comic book now, I see you whipped out the comic. I just want, I remembered that there was something I wanted to share. In the comic book, we have Cornelia pulls Joe in through a door. And because it looks like in the comic book, Cornelia is in like a regular New York apartment building. You know, it has like the the stair escapes and everything. And he's in an alley. And she oh, like pulls the fire him... escapes? The yeah, fire escapes. yeah, yeah. And so she pulls him into a, in through a door and she goes, quick, come inside and don't worry. Miss Tucker is fast asleep. Joe, you've got a terrible cold. You're burning with fever. And he says, I'll be all right, Corny. But when they do that, they are in the kitchen. They're not in her room. So when the next minute occurs, they just go from the kitchen to the next location, not oh, they, her bedroom. They don't need to explain so, how they're going from point A to point B. They're already right. there for the yes. next scene. Yeah. Oh, Marvel was yeah. pretty clever. They were. I was just thinking how we talked about earlier how common it was for climbing into bedroom windows. I was also just thinking now how common it was to climb out of a bedroom window by tying a bunch of sheets and pillowcases together. That, that was the preferred way of getting out. I don't know if that would actually work in real life either. Well, if you tied them correctly, it would work. <laughs> Knowing my luck, all the sheets would fall apart. You tie Whoa! them to slip knots. So, Ben, how about you tell everybody how they can get in contact with us this holiday season or any time of year where you might be listening to Santa by the Minute? If you want to answer any of our questions that we come up with over the course of the minutes, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Santa Minute. Or you can send us an email at SantaByTheMinute at gmail.com. And Ben and I post a brand new episode each and every Wednesday. And as always, you can listen to any of those episodes for free!